Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm joined, as always, by Eric Eggers, who's an author and vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute. We are going to dissect the recent midterm elections. We have a very special guest with us here to do it. That's Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress, former head of the Oversight Committee in the House of Representatives. We want to dissect the election and then talk about oversight and the process of oversight and how it might look with a new Republican majority. But Eric, at this point right now, it's still questionable if the Republicans will have a majority in the House and how big or small it might be. Yeah, somewhat historically unprecedented for Republicans to not pick up any Senate seats two years into a fairly unpopular, according to polling, Democratic president. Uh, that's not what happened to Bill Clinton. That's not what happened to Barack Obama. It does look like, I think, in fact, as, as of today, NBC is projecting that the, the Republicans will take the House by maybe the slimmest of majorities. And so that conceptually means that Republicans will have the, the House and they'll have oversight committee. And it's funny, you know, I know Jason's a family man, but when you say he was in charge of oversight, like that makes me think he's an excellent parent, right? Like <laughs> he clearly knows how to pay attention to and make sure that the right things happen all well, the time. I think what we're probably going to do at some point is have his kids on. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do a podcast on Jason's oversight abilities when they were children. But Jason, we want to get to you, get your take on the midterm elections, what they mean. Some very interesting numbers. I mean, there was an expectation that there was going to be a big red wave. And if you look at the raw voting numbers for the House, House of Representatives, at least, Republicans have between five and six million more votes in the House than Democrats did. The Cook Political Report estimated that Republicans got 52.3% of the vote for, for the House compared to 46.2% for Democrats. Uh, that's a 6.1% margin, and yet it really didn't translate into many seats. What's going on here, and what's your reaction to what we know at this point about the midterm elections? Well, first of all, with the family, you know, I did try issuing subpoenas, but, you know, when they're, when they're seven <laughs> years old, it, they didn't. It was sort of like working with the Obama administration. They really didn't pay attention to them. So, you know, it they was the same up. thing you know, when I was in Congress. Yeah, they lawyered up. Exactly. Um, look, uh, I, I think there's um, Democrats are much more savvy at this as we're learning the hard way here. Um, yeah. There were they there's a saying out there and I think it's very true. Democrats were very focused on ballots and Republicans were focused on votes, and and there is a difference. Now w- we can talk about sort of the the high level uh, issues, but I want I want to try to highlight some of the things maybe most people aren't aware of. Uh, first of all, they leveraged unions. They can go out and do two things with with unions. One is it doesn't show up on a on a financial disclosure. It doesn't show up on an FEC report. But they can get people out there to go target votes where they go and do ballot harvesting. Harvesting is where you go and you target and you collect people's ballots and then turn them in for them. 
Uh, the second thing that they're able to do is cure ballots. So you look at these elections where it's taking a long time. If there's something wrong with that ballot, um, it, it depends on the state and how they do it. But you can go back and fix these or what they call cure the ballots. And so in a place like Nevada, they could go get the culinary union and say, all right, everybody, get over here. And now you got to go out and cure these ballots. And, you know, miraculously, they were turning these things in by the thousands. And, um, you know, that's part of the process. But again, Democrats uh, do this is so well. And Republicans are like not prepared for it. Democrats also have an army of attorneys. Republicans have not had an army of attorneys that are ready to go out there. Think of Mark Elias and the Elias Law Group and, and what they're doing. They they understand this. And the other thing is, I, you know, I, I, I want to mention this executive order that, that Joe Biden put out um, March 10th of last year. It's executive order 14019. And it directs the federal government and all of its departments and agencies to come up with a game plan in order to get out the vote. Now, there have been lawsuits, FOIA requests, that uh, the department, the uh, the uh, Department of Justice, is vigorously fighting against. They're claiming executive privilege. But what did all these departments and agencies do to get out the vote? Let me read you two things from the executive order. Assist applicants in completing voter registration and vote by mail application forms in the manner consistent with all relevant state laws. Solicit and facilitating approved, approved nonpartisan third party organizations and state officials to provide voter registration services on agency premises. What in the world does that mean? Um, and they and the government at this point will not tell us. And that, I think, needs further investigation. And it leads in perfectly to, I think, an area that House Republicans might look into with oversight authority now if they knew if they do have a majority. And we want to talk about that. But you're exactly right. We actually mentioned this on the last episode of this. We mentioned two things that if a red wave doesn't materialize, one reason why would be exactly what you just said. It's a fundamental shift in the posture of the federal government being proactive in soliciting and basically assisting, I think, democratic political campaigns in the name of just democracy, right? And that's a shift that happened during COVID. And I actually think, I was talking with this uh, at a party over the weekend, I actually think the, f- the fundamental face of American elections may be permanently altered because this is now the new norm. I mean, is there any way we go back from this now? Well, look, I wish that everybody would vote with the same day, same information, same way. Make it two or three days if you have to. The idea that you have in Pennsylvania uh, hundreds of thousands of people voting before they even have their debate. Uh, we did that in the presidential election. I, I just I just think it's wrong. And I think the Democrats are – there's a reason why they're fighting so hard for this. They work at it 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. They just go after it all the time. Republicans tend to stay – you know get there and say, hey, uh, you know, we, we should have, you know, everybody get out to vote on election day. And it's an election month. And pretty much it's a two year process for for the Democrats. And for, but they, for them to leverage the federal government, I mean, I think it was in 2016, 95 percent of the donations from federal employees went to Hillary Clinton. 
So if you think that there's a balance out there, there's there's no balance. Yeah, and it begs the question, of course, you mentioned that approved nonprofits uh, could yes. participate in this. Well, who's doing the approval? We think we know who that is, and we, we know the choices they're going to make. Uh, we're going to continue to dissect these elections. There seems to be this real gap between what voters were saying. 75%, I think in some polls said the country was headed in the wrong direction. Uh, and yet they essentially voted for the status quo. Uh, maybe one of those reasons could be what you were talking about, Jason, the fact that so many people were voting earlier. So the 75% on the wrong track uh, reflects people election day. Uh, maybe a lot of the information we're getting is not accurate. And, and I think we need to continue to look at it. But it is funny. I mean, to the point about like what Democrats do from a political operations standpoint, going after ballots in Arizona, which still is not resolved. You right. actually are seeing the late campaign. The Republicans are acting like Democrats from two years ago and four years ago. There's there's a clarion call. Hey, come cure your ballot. The deadline's Wednesday. It's just unusual to hear Republicans be the ones to say, hey, you know, we want to extend deadlines right. as they try to do in Maricopa County. Right. We want you to come and cure the ballots. And I mean, in 2018, when Governor DeSantis was running against then Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum, the opposite was true. They're like right. filing lawsuits. No, you can't cure that bad boy after. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, and it is remarkable at this point, we are still awaiting numbers uh, in Arizona for ballot counting. Meanwhile, here in Florida, where we live, we had an election. We had a hurricane. Mm. We had roads that were blown out and we had those roads repaired and even bridges repaired in shorter time than it takes to count ballots in Maricopa County. So um, there is that. Well, uh, Jason, we appreciate your insight on this. The real main focus of what we wanted to talk about today is one of your many areas of expertise, and that is the fact that you were chairman of the House Oversight Committee. It's one of the reasons we brought you on as a distinguished fellow at GAI. It's one of the reasons you're paying, playing now a senior role at the Heritage Foundation with their oversight process. With the House Republicans set to take the majority, they get oversight responsibility. Now, there are all sorts of things you can do with this. You can use it. You can misuse it. You can go in 60 million directions at one time. Uh, give us the, the sense of what you've learned about the mistakes you can make and what you think the particular focus should be. Should it be Hunter Biden? Should, be, should it be election? Should it be Afghanistan? What do you think the area of focus should be at this point? Well, there's a target-rich environment. The, the first thing to, to, to watch here between now and, and the 1st of January is the rules package. The rules package will give the leverage to committee chairman to issue subpoenas unilaterally, or it may not. And so you're going to get a real sense from leadership as to what their appetite is like. If they force them to go get a committee vote, then it's going to slow the process way down. But and assuming Jason, just that- Just to pause, that, just ex explain what the rules yes. package is. So the rules package is basically its own branch of government, right? It can write its own rules, essentially its own laws by which the committees and its members uh, uh, operate. Uh, they have to vote on it in committee. They have to vote it on the floor of the House. Um, but it, it will make a determination as to how powerful a committee chairman like, say, Jim Jordan is over in judiciary. Can he unilaterally issue a subpoena or does he have to go get a committee vote, which slows the whole process down? So the rules package is, is I mean, it's terribly complicated. It is behind the scenes. Most people aren't. But for those that have been through it, paying a lot of attention to see what sort of attitude leadership is going to have. 
Um, there are a whole array of things, and it, it is important. Focus does determine reality, but I think you're going to have to have multiple different um, committees focused on multiple different things. Immigration, um, going after Mayorkas, will they f- fight to impeach Mayorkas? Um, will they, you know, go after the Hunter Biden story and the 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 Biden family business? One thing that I want to note that I think I learned along the way in my eight and a half years and two and a half years as the chairman of that committee is that I think there's a tendency to want to see the highest profile person on the stand right away. And I think a better, smarter way to do that is Congress has the ability to, to issue subpoenas for people to come in for transcribed interviews or depositions. Think of a court reporter and people on both sides of the aisle. And that witness has to sit there for eight, 10 hours straight answering questions under oath. If you do that and maybe have lower profile people come and testify before Congress, that is the foundation. Then you bring in the Hunter Biden at the very end. Don't start with them, even though I think the public could say, yeah, bring them up there. We want to see them at the end of January. You want to bring the people below them in first, lay the foundation, then you go after the the primary target and where the evidence is leading you. That's a smart way to play it. You work your way up the food chain. It also gives you a body of information. Um, One of the things that's always struck me about this, Jason, and maybe you could talk about it, is that a lot of times you see these committee hearings. And let me see, I don't want to be uncharitable, but a lot of the members don't (laughs) seem to be that well versed in the actual substance of these issues. They show up, they, they, you know, they've got five or seven minutes of questioning. They, they make a rote speech for four minutes. They ask one predictable question. Uh, it just seems to me that a lot of these matters, Hunter Biden, of course, we're very familiar with, but, but what's going on with Homeland Security and the border, these are complicated issues. And, and if you're not as a member up and knowing and able to anticipate what they're going to say and call them out for it, it's very easy for a lot of these people to skate. So how do you get members actually prepared to engage in sort of the intellectual or verbal combat that's necessary for these hearings to actually accomplish something? Well, candidly, not every member is up to it. It's it's very confrontational. You have to cut right to the nub of the issue. There are a number of people in Congress who are, for instance, former federal prosecutors, uh, think of you know uh, a Ken Buck and people like this, John Radcliffe when he, when he was still in the House. These are people who actually know how to prosecute a witness and and know the answer to the question before they leave it out there. Use their own words against them. Uh, one of the more um, it was really interesting. I I had Secretary Jay Johnson from Homeland Security and I asked him. I said, "What would you say?" to somebody who says this, and I gave him an, an actual quote, and he waxed on for a minute about how wrong that was and how bad it was and how, and so then I stopped and I played a clip of President Obama saying that exact thing. And then I followed <laughs> it up by saying, so are you going to tell President Obama that? And the room was just like, I mean, it was unbelievable. The room had just like complete silence. They could not believe. You have to think those things through too many members, you're right, they show up on the dais and they're reading the packet and they haven't actually done their homework. So hopefully those committees are populated properly with people. They don't have to be an attorney. They just need to know how to ask some questions. So, so what's this might seem like a simple question, uh, but like what's the goal of the hearings you might hold 
in the House Oversight Committee or any of the other uh, House committees in, in terms of conducting investigations. And what relationship would that have versus an actual investigation being led by a law enforcement official or like the, through the Department of Justice or with the FBI or something of that nature? And is there a connection there? Are you guys mostly trying to expose and inform as opposed to le- literally prosecute? Yeah, you know, the, the thing that Trey Gowdy and I like to say is, you know, they don't give us handcuffs. Um, so you can make the case, you can inform the Congress. The disconnect, I think, is the ability to use the power of the purse. I mean, the whole idea and the notion in the foundation of the Oversight Committee back from 1814 was that they could oversee every single um, appropriation. And if it wasn't being used right, then Congress would then take that information and either defund or put other parameters and guardrails on it. What doesn't happen is the appropriators look at that. and We just continue to do continuing resolutions or omnibuses, and there's no financial consequence or movement. And and that has to change. You can do that, but it takes a lot of discipline and and it takes an ability of leadership to appreciate that oversight process. I've never seen it in the time I've ever been involved in Congress. Never seen it. Not once. So is that where the, the slim majority for a house, if there is a house majority, would make a difference? Because like, let's use your example about the executive order 14019 and you got the federal government and the different agencies having a plan and essentially like facilitating get out the vote operations for Democrats nationwide. Like that's the thing you, you might look into. And if you didn't like some of the answers, you could conceptually have a financial penalty as a result of that. But but does this or defund it? I mean, yeah, there's this uh, saying uh, like starve the beast. Uh, like the way you solve these problems is to starve the beast. Now, the obvious one is the are the 87,000 IRS agents. Um, I've heard Kevin McCarthy talk about that. That is going to be the first bill that he wants to bring forward if he ends up being the majority leader or the speaker, I should say. Um, and, uh, you know, you can work to defund these types of things. Um, so sunlight is the best disinfectant. You do hope that you can expose and these things will change. Um, but how many times have we done a, a thorough investigation, had thousands of pages of reports, and then nothing happens to anybody? They, If anybody's caught, they just retire. They get the full retirement. Um, you know, there, it, it does become incredibly frustrating even though I think the public is on the side of, you know, the openness and transparency and the truth surfacing, but taking that next step has really been a breakdown so far. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, the expectations that people have sometimes for these kinds of opportunities to investigate and expose sometimes might be too high. You run across this with Hunter Biden all the time. People saying, you know, Hunter Biden, why isn't Hunter Biden in jail? And the congressional hearings, I think, are really about putting before the American people what the financial ties of the Biden family are with the Chinese government, with other foreign entities. So I think one of the things we have to do is dampen expectations of what can actually come from these hearings. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for clarity, assuming those uh, you know hearings take place. The other thing, Jason, that's interesting to me, too, though, is, of course, the Democrats do oversight. Um, they just recently had an oversight function with the January 6th committee, right? And you had this sort of unprecedented situation where uh, Steve Bannon uh, was charged with contempt of Congress uh, and is looking at a jail term. It seems to me that would impact going forward 
oversight that the Republicans are doing? I mean, in other words, does that not set the precedent if Hunter Biden or James Biden or in some of these other cases, officials don't want to testify? Does that not lay the predicate that those individuals have to testify in some form or another? Because if they don't, they may be facing jail time, too. I I would hope so. I would think so. But I can tell you when I was chairman and issued twice, twice I did it just to make sure that, we, you know, he had every opportunity. I issued a subpoena on Brian Pagliano. This was Hillary Clinton's IT person. He actually had an immunity agreement, um, but with no clause that he cooperate with the government, which was no <laughs> prosecutor would ever talk to it ever. I mean, it's just incredible. But I issued him a subpoena to appear before the committee to answer questions, and he did not show. Then I issued another one, served by the U.S. Marshals, did not show. And the Obama administration took months to look at it and then decided they weren't going to prosecute it. And then all of a sudden, because you got a Steve Bannon or somebody associated with Donald Trump, I mean, they're issuing yeah. these subpoenas, you know, in getting uh, responses and filing charges, you know, within days yeah. But I would hope that there would be um, some intellectual curiosity by the media and some sense of fairness. I don't think there will be, but I do think that is the the uh, the uh, the predicate, as you say, that that is the precedent right now. And we'll see what happens when they want to call up, say, maybe Louis Free, uh, you know. And how is it that you got you know gave a hundred thousand dollars to the Biden family in this business, like? I, he's one of the ones I would love to call up before Congress and have him try to explain these financial transactions with the Bidens as a yeah. thank you for the business that he got in Romania. You know, things like yeah. that. So, yeah, we'll see you, if you he bring, actually shows. You bring up a good point in the role that the media plays here, right? Because you can hold congressional hearings, but and even oversight hearings. But if the media doesn't cover it, but it's kind of like a tree falling in the woods and nobody hears it. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see if the media actually pays attention to some of these more high profile investigations. Jason, there's as we sort of wait to see how the deck will shuffle out and what the actual Senate majority will look like in the House and the numbers and everything, there's been a call to have delays for votes for House and Senate leadership for Republicans. And I just wonder, what's your sort of sense of, I mean, do you think people are lined up behind Kevin McCarthy? Do you think people are lined up behind Mitch McConnell? Or, or is there a chance that we actually see a change in what and who has been in charge of each Republican caucus? Um, personally, I think it's premature to hold these um, uh, so-called elections. Uh, um, we we don't even know who the full body is going to be in the House uh, or the Senate. I, I I don't see the rush to have to do this, um, you know, literally one week after the election. Um, my guess is that each of those gentlemen have the majority of that group, but it's certainly not going to be unanimous. And two totally different processes. You know, the, in the Senate, it's very opa opaque. You you can't really see and hear. What's going on with these, you know, group of 49 senators behind closed doors and, and who would ultimately prevail in the House? I don't care what the vote is. If it were, you know, uh, you know, the election uh, happens when it's supposed to. The process set up in the Constitution is you have to stand up and yell out the name of the person you want to see become the speaker. And I'm telling you, if you think Thomas Massey is going to stand up and say, Kevin McCarthy from California, it's just not going to happen. This is not going to happen. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, different traditions and different approaches to leadership. Uh, I think one of the great things about the country is the fact that we have these separate uh, legislative bodies. So, Jason, let's step back a little bit. Um, you've had experience with oversight. You've seen the value of it. You've seen the limitations of it. Are you optimistic uh, that this actually has a future in the next couple of years? I mean, it, you know, if if the media continues to show a lack of interest in issues like the border or like the Hunter Biden and the Biden family financial transactions, if the Republicans have a slender majority in the in the House and let's say a couple of the members get a little bit jiggy uh, or let's say leadership doesn't give them the power to issue subpoenas without bipartisan support, um, are we expecting too much? And should we just sort of throw up our hands and say, look, oversight really doesn't matter. It's not going to work and focus on something else. What are your final thoughts on that? I think oversight's about the only thing that uh, even a slim majority has in the House. It, it it really is. They can work to try to legislate, but going into a presidential year with the Senate in Democratic hands, a president who's saying he's not changing the course on anything, oversight is really there. You know, my my former colleague Trey Gowdy, he he said it this way, and I think he's probably right. He said, you know, the the the. Washington, D.C. media, they never met a Democrat investigation that they ever thought should end. And they never met a Republican investigation they ever thought should have started. And I and I think that's probably right. So, look, we got to get the word out with social media. There's other ways to communicate. I, I think you have to have a vigorous agenda. I think what Jim Jordan in Judiciary and James Comer are talking about in the Oversight Committee those are the good, high-level, high-watermark, um, big-profile things that they ought to get after. Um, and the staff, when you get in the majority, you get about twice as much staff. So you get about 60 people on the House Oversight Committee as staff going up against a bureaucracy of 2.2 million people, 110,000 people at the Department of Justice. It's not exactly a, a, a fair fight that way, but Let's hope that the equal application of justice happens. I haven't seen it yet, but that's what I think we still need to continue to fight for. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast, Jason. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we enjoy working with you. We appreciate your insight and your leadership. Um, we have had a very unusual last week or so with this election, and there's a lot at stake. Uh, a lot of the things we work here at the Government Accountability Institute on, a lot of the issues people care about, uh, I think with Jason's optimism, I would add to it. It's one of the few things you can do in Congress. And since nobody else seems to be interested in these issues at the Department of Justice or the mainstream media, this is the one sort of glimmer of light we're going to get on a lot of these perplexing issues. Well, it would be a glimmer of light until you remember that Jason said that no one ever actually holds the power of the purse in the responsible way, right? <laughs> so it's like, it's a lot, a lot of talking, but no, no financial. The light is fleeting is yeah, what you're no, saying. The light is fleeting. But I love your optimism. <laughs> Hey, you got to be optimistic. You don't have any other choice. But Jason, uh, thanks so much for joining us as always. We appreciate your leadership here at GAI. You're doing terrific things on, on television at the Heritage Foundation. I know you've been working on a book, but we're not going to go into any details on that. I know it's going to be fantastic. Thanks for joining us on the program. And thank you to the audience for listening to us as always. You can find our podcasts and our other research materials at thedrilldown.com. Thanks so much. Until next time. 